Parshas Mishpatim. Everyone knows that when Parshas Mishpatim comes along, right away people begin to tune out. It's all laws. Laws and more laws and bylaws with details. Some people might even think, bring back the stories. Yisiyas Misrayim and Kriyas Yamsuf and Mamad Harsinai and the man. Even the stories of the Am Yisrael complaining. It's interesting at least. But laws, after all, are we all going to be lawyers or Dayanim? I remember years ago I met a Jewish street cleaner. This was many years ago when there were city workers whose job it was to scrub the streets clean. He was dressed in a white uniform, pushing a barrel on wheels and holding a brush. And when he saw me, he stopped to talk to me. He was proud to tell me that his grandchild was learning in a yeshiva. But he was bothered. I'm surprised, he said. He's he's spending his morning studying law. He was telling me what his grandson was studying. He was explaining to me the beginning of Baba Kama. My grandson is not a law student. He's only in the fourth grade, he said. Why are they training him to be a lawyer? It's a good question. Here's this little boy and his mind is being cluttered up with a shor and a bor and a mave and a hever. All the avos, all the avos nezikin and the toldos. All the different scenarios of damages. And it's not merely that one yeshiva has this system. It's the system of the Jewish people. Actually, it's the system of the Torah. That's why you find that Agadata and Midas Toivos is one uh, is one seventh of the Gemara. The other six sevenths are taken up by intricacies of law. Someone who learns Gemara knows that it boggles the mind how much time and space is devoted to details and subdetails, minutia and technicalities. Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Basra. Three big mesechtas, pages and pages about Dine Mamonus and Dine Nezikin are gleaned from Parshas Mishpatim. And the young people spend their lives studying them. Years and years go by. They could have learned Midas Toivus in that time. They could have learned Mitzil Zishadim or Chavis Olavavis in that time. It would seem like we lose out on so many great things because of the time spent in the three Bavas. Now that's how it's supposed to be. In Bava Kama, the Gemara asks the following question. It's, it's, it's an important question because it applies to all of us sitting here right now. Man debai lemeve chasido. If someone wants to be a chosid, a pious man, so what should he do? Now, suppose someone would ask us that question. So with our little heads, who knows what kind of program we would think up? We would say maybe, first on the list is fasting. A lot of fasting and lots of tehillim. But it doesn't say a word about that over here. Maybe a chosid fasts and says tehillim as well. I can't tell you, but not a word is mentioned in this Gemara about that. What does the Gemara say? Let him fulfill the things of Nezikin, damages, Babakama. Studying Parshish Mishpatim, learning how to be careful with other people's money. That's the ticket to Hasidus. Now that doesn't mean that just because you don't go out with stones and smash your neighbor's window, that you're considered a Chosid already. No. Chasidis means much more than that. But man debaye, if you want to become a chosid, if you want to reach out, if you want to reach the summit of perfection, that's the first step, to be careful with your fellow man's property. Now I understand that for many people, chasidis means something else together. 
החסידוס, האמיתי, הניצרו והנחמד, רחות, רחוק, מציור שכלנו, שכלנו. The true piety that is accepted and desired by Hashem is far away from any picture we have in our minds. I'll tell you a true story. There was once a boy who wanted to come into my shul to study Torah. The door was locked, but he was a dedicated boy, full of enthusiasm. So he was trying to make his way through the window. I happened to come just as he was breaking the window. He didn't intend to break it. He was just trying to force it open, but it broke. Now, a new window costs good money, but I didn't say anything. He was a yeshiva boy, a 16-year-old bacher with no money, so I kept quiet. He should have paid, but I didn't say anything. A few months later, I met him on Church Avenue on Shabbos, and he's all dressed up in a chassidish kapoita with silk lapels. Beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to honor the Shabbos. But I knew this boy. He came from, from, Karn- from, he came from Canarsi, and he wasn't a chosid. He didn't come from such a family at all. I don't even, I don't even know if his parents are showing me the Shabbos. But he wanted to wear a chassidish kapoite. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But it costs a lot of money. Silk lapels? These kapoites can cost a small fortune. And I was thinking to myself, that's his idea of being a chosid. Because the Gemara has other, less fanciful ideas. Someone who wants to be a chosid. So the first thing is, He should fulfill all of the details of never doing any sort of damage. A chosid thinks before he pushes on somebody's window so hard. And if he breaks it, he pays for it. Imagine you're a man who is going before Pesach to distribute packages, parcels to needy families. So you step into your car and you're loaded down with various packages, matzahs, bottles of wine and other things. You're a special fellow. You must be because you're taking from your own time and your own money too to help others. So as you load your car, you're leaving packages on the sidewalk where people can trip. Or maybe you're speeding through the streets because you have a lot of good deeds to accomplish. Oh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you're making a bore b'rishus harabim. And you're speeding too. You're, you're an Adam Hamazik. That's worse than if you hadn't delivered any packages at all. There will be a much greater punishment for that. <clears throat> for being a mazik than for not being a goimel chasadim toivim. Because the very first thing that's expected of you is not to transgress any nezikin. What comes after that is certainly a good thing. But nezikin is the most basic responsibility you have. And without the details, without studying mishpatim, you have no idea what is right and what is wrong. Without studying Baba Kama and Baba, and Baba Vasra, you are, you are a crook. Only that you are a crook who has the best opinion of yourself. Every man thinks he's honest. He knows that others are not, but he's honest. That he knows. Let me tell you a little story. There was a time when I used to take a taxi every day. I had to go from one school to another to talk. And I used the same driver every day. He was an old American Jew, an 80-year-old man. To all the institutions that I had to speak, he always took me there. So he became like a close associate of mine. Now, this man didn't know how to learn a thing. He didn't, he didn't even know Siddur. He knew nothing. But one thing he did know, 
he knew that the Orthodox Jews are no good. So while he's driving, he's telling me his criticisms of Orthodox Jews, all of his complaints, this and that, and also how honest a man he was, unlike the Orthodox. Finally, we crossed the parkway, and we came into Flatbush. There was a long way to get to go yet, and he closed down his meter. I said, why are you closing down the meter? So he tells me, because my boss earned enough money today. The rest of the fare will go to me. This was the man who prided himself on being honest. He didn't even dream that anything was wrong. He didn't dream that he was a crook. And that's how it is. The unorthodox don't even know that they're crooks. All they know is that the orthodox are crooks. By virtue of being orthodox, you're already a crook. I walked past the fruit store the other day, and I see a lady, not a poor woman. She's wearing a fur coat. She's dressed very proper. So she stops by the apricots in the bin outside, and she takes an apricot and begins to eat it. And then a second apricot. She's a gun of. I see it all the time. Gentiles in the street walking past the fruit store and picking off a few grapes, and then some peanuts, and even a plum. Oh, they'll say, I'm just tasting to see if I want to make a purchase. Just tasting a nechtegatog. I see it all the time. And I tell them it's stealing. You can't steal from the owner like that. And the lady is surprised. Me steal? She would never steal. But people who never learn, people who rely on their innate sense of right and wrong, are a thousand times worse than they could ever imagine. And even the learners, the Talmidei Chachamim, have to think about every step they make. If you're not thinking then it doesn't even occur to you. Once I was in the yeshiva across the street, and I was observing a young man studying Perak Meruba. It's the seven Perak above Akama. And it talks there about the laws of a thief, the obligations of someone who steals. And he was learning with a real appetite. It was a pleasure to look at. He was learning out loud. Meruba midat tashlume kefel, mimidat tashlume arbav chamisha. He was saying it with a geschmack. He was clarifying all the details of paying kefil, paying a fine when you're caught stealing. And I noticed that he was studying from a Gemara that he borrowed from my synagogue. It didn't even occur to him that the thief that the Gemara was talking about was he. Stealing a Gemara is not called stealing. He's high of kefil. He has to pay me two Gemaras. Lucky for him, I happen to be around. And even if you do study, That's only the beginning. You have to keep the laws in mind always and be vigilant about applying them. All of the general rules are models for the small details of how to live every minute. You have to apply the psukim and the halachas because they are intended as models for the situations you face all day long. It's not only an ox that man is responsible for. The one who studies Hashem's words as intended is not thinking only about an ox. He understands that Hashem is telling him that he is responsible not only for his ox or dog, but for the other things as well. For leaving a bag for one minute on the sidewalk and for a banana peel left on the ground and a dirty tissue on the table. For how he drives and and for what he leaves on the steps and for sticking his foot out into the aisle. All harm caused to others, by negligence, is punishable by Dine Shomayim, by the laws of heaven. And often, the guilt in the eyes of Hashem is extremely heavy. And now we come to our subject for tonight.
Because everything we said up till now is only an introduction. An important introduction to the secret of Parshas Mishpatim. Because there's a big puzzle here. As important as Mishpatim are, and as much as it requires constant study and awareness, why is it so important that it should be the first thing the Am Yisrael heard from Hashem after Matan Torah? I want you to understand this question. The most, remarkable, the most remarkable spectacle that the Am Yisrael would ever witness was Matan Torah. We stood at Har Sinai and we saw what nobody before ever saw. Haniyah kadavara Oh, hanishma kamahu, hashama am kol elokim, midaber mitocha esh, kasher shamata ata vayehi. Has there ever been any such thing like this great event? Or has anything like it been heard? Has a people ever heard the voice of Hashem speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard and survived? Devorim. When they heard that tremendous voice for the first time, the words, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am Hashem your God. It was an experience of the greatest love and yearning for Hashem that our nation would ever experience. There's no question that the people were on a very high level of enthusiasm and they expected now to hear who knows what kind of instruction in walking the path towards Hashem. The greatest ideals and attitudes, the deepest of Torah secrets, and the mysteries of our purpose in life. How to achieve this perfection of closeness to Hashem. That's what they were expected. That's what they were expecting. And they were ready to accept it all. Na We want to do everything. Just let us know the path that we should walk on in order to serve you best. And we'll start running down that road. And what happened then? A remarkable thing. Hashem came down on Har Sinai and said to his people, Oh, you're saying Nasev and Ishma? You're ready to do? So let me tell you what I want. And these are the statutes that you, Moshe, should place before them. Shemos. Laws are dealing with your fellow men. All forms of damages and the monetary relationships with those around you. That's how I want you to get started. We sit down to learn Mishpatim with Perush Rashi. And we're reading a law book. The dry details of how to treat your fellow man's property. His cows and his sheep. His shirt and his land. And the various payments for bodily injury. And the laws of torts and contractual agreements. Parshas Mishpatim is famous as the Torah source of monetary law. And that's a big question. Mishpatim? These aren't the high ideals that we're waiting for. Is this what we accepted the Torah for? We had just heard the voice of Hashem. I am Hashem your God. The booming thunder, the bolts of lightning, and the smoking mountain. We saw the presence of Hashem with our own eyes. And for this, just to hear these mundane monetary laws, Let's say about Shuva comes into Yeshiva for the first time. And so, he'd like to hear about great ideals. He'd like to be taught noble aspirations and life-changing attitudes. That's why, he came, that's why he came in, because he's an idealist. And instead, what does he get? The first book they give him is Seder Nezikin. He wanted ideals, and instead he's being treated to a course in financial law. 
He's looking for Hashem. And instead he finds laws about what happens if one's animal trespasses into his fellow man's field or eats some of the grain. Or if you leave your wine barrel in the public path and someone's camel falls over it, falls over it and it's endless. It goes on and on. Sometimes there's a little oasis of a few lines of Agadita by which he can refresh his neshama. Abal Tshuva is an idealist. He waits for that and he loves it. Sometimes it seems to him that all the rest of it is unnecessary. If only we could skip over all of this and just spend our time on the noble ideals. That's what he's thinking. And that's what the Am Yisrael was thinking when they stood at Arzinai. We just heard the first commandment. Anochi, Hashem Elokecha. And we said, we will do and we will listen. And at that very moment, when their hearts were open to everything, ready to hear the most sublime ideas, we get Mishpatim? Mishpatim is what you tell us? I think it's a big question. So listen well to the answer. Because what does Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am Hashem, mean anyway? What command is there? He's not telling us that we, that we have to do anything. It's just a statement, a fact. But what are we supposed to do about it? So you'll tell me what the Rambam says. Leda ulhamin. It's a command to know and believe in Hashem. Okay, if that's the case, it's easy. As soon as you hear it, it's a done deal. I agree. I accept. Just show me where to sign on the dotted line and it's all settled. Oh no, it's far from being settled. It's just beginning. Anochi Hashem Elokecha means that your job is to learn to be aware of Hashem more and more and more. It's not enough for us just to concede the fact, to merely accept Hashem's reality as a fact, to rattle off some words. Ani mamin shalema. I believe, I know. And then to get back to regular life. Just to repeat these ideas all of our lives, the same way we heard them when we were four years old, means that we are frustrating the purpose of this great command. Nothing doing. Anochi Hashem Lokecha is a mitzvah that you can never stop fulfilling. Those three words come to declare the necessity of continuing always to gain more and more awareness of Hashem, to be thinking of Hashem always. And that's exactly why after Matan Torah, right away came Mishpatim. Because while Anochi Hashem Lokecha was the Klal Gadol, they heard on that glorious day, all the details of how to be aware constantly of Hashem were given in, in Parshas Mishpatim. It's only possible to fulfill these dinim if you keep Hashem in mind always. Because if you were aware of me always, says Hashem, if you would train yourself to always be aware that I am watching you, you'd be careful. And if you're not practicing being aware of me all the time, then it's impossible for you to succeed in this world. It doesn't matter how big of a Talmud Chacham you are. The great subject of Nezikin, to always be on guard against causing damage to other people or to their property and their feelings. That's the first step, because it demands constant awareness that Hashem is watching you. That's the foundation of the service of Hashem. You are aware at all times that He is watching and that He is demanding something of you always. That's the greatest fulfillment of Anochi Hashem Elokecha. 
Let's say a man is putting away his Pesach things. He's carrying down the Pesach dishes and he sees one thing among the dishes that he wants to put with the Chomets things to keep it for all year round. So as he's carrying the box of dishes down the stairs, he puts this one thing on the stairs for the time being. Oh no! Stairs are a Rishus Arabim where people are going up and down. The other tenants use the stairs too. You're endangering their lives by putting something there. Nothing is allowed to be put on the stairs. If somebody would step on it, you know what could happen, Khalila? Mishpatim means that you can't just do how you please. Do you have workers? You have to pay wages. I don't have the money right now. I'll pay you a little bit now and the rest next week or next month. Dine Mamonis puts you on notice. Lo talin pu'ula sachir. Before the sun sets, you have to pay the wages. Vayikra. The sun is going down and the workers want to go home. So you had better pay him. The Chavetz Chaim once hired a man to drive him someplace in a wagon. And soon as he got off the wagon and he saw that the wagon driver didn't have any change, he ran off to borrow money to pay the fare. He wasn't going to wait till sundown. Because if you live by the dinim of the Torah, so you're always aware of your responsibilities to Hashem. It's not that you're worried about your workers going on strike. You're not worried about, you're not worried about unions and union bosses. You're strict with, you're strict with yourself. Because there's a big boss. Akadosh Baruch Hu is the worst union boss there is. He sees everything and he's very demanding. Because everything belongs to him. La Hashem Haaretz Umloah, the earth and everything in it all belongs to Hashem. Only that Haaretz Natan Livne Adam. He gave us permission to walk on it and to use the things in it. The awareness that you are just passing through a world that doesn't belong to you is the foundation for living a life of awareness of the true owner in this world. When you realize that you are walking through a world that doesn't belong to you and that whatever you do here must be done according to the rules of the boss, your life becomes a different type of life. Certain places you can't walk and certain things you can't use. You can walk only where he permitted you to walk. You can use only what he allows you to use and only in the way that he allows it. If something belongs to somebody else, so you have no right to walk into his territory or use his property because Hashem didn't give you permission. Wherever you walk, whatever you use, you must always be careful to follow his guidelines. He gives us permission only with certain conditions, most of which are included in the Mili, the Nezikin of Mishpatim. Before any step that you make in this world, any dealings you have with somebody else or somebody else's property, you must be aware that you're dealing with somebody much bigger than you imagined. If you eat what belongs to somebody else, you are robbing Hashem. If you walk on somebody's property without permission, so it's also Hashem who didn't give you permission. You're trespassing on Hashem's property. He only permitted that man who made a kinyan the one who acquired ownership to use his things. Anybody else has to be very careful and therefore to be aware all the time about how you are treating this man and that man and about how you are treating your neighbor's property and your friend's objects means that you are keeping Hashem in mind all the time.
Because it's impossible to be as careful as the Torah expects. It's impossible to fill, to fulfill the details that the Torah demands of you unless you are aware that Hashem is always watching and that He is making these demands of you. Once you understand that, you will have to be aware of Hashem all day long. The Gemara in Chagiga tells us that when a person is brought to judgment, he will, brought, he, will, he will be brought up on everything. He'll be charged with things he never even imagined could be problematic. Says Shlomo HaMelech in Kohelas, you will be brought to judgment on all the many things that are hidden away from you. And the Gemara explains, this refers to someone who kills a louse, and someone standing nearby is disgusted by it. Or, if you spit out some spit or phlegm, and the person nearby is nauseated by it, it wasn't your fault. You had something stuck in your throat, and you covered your mouth too. And yet even those minor acts of disregard for your fellow, even if done unintentionally, will be brought up against you on that great day of judgment. And what that means is that you have to be aware that Hashem is always watching. When you're talking to a person and you have a cold, make sure to keep far away from him. If you'll cough in his face, you're a mazik. You don't believe in germs. Who cares what you believe in? You're a mazik of the, of the first degree. There are so many things to be careful about. And don't say, it's mina shamayim, it's bishert. No, it's blood on your head. You are to blame. In every instance, it could very well be that you are to blame. And the only solution is to be aware of Hashem all day long. And to thereby be careful with mile dinazikin. Not only germs. Suppose you're talking to somebody, to somebody in Divrei Torah, and as you're talking to him, you let loose a flow of polluted air from your mouth. Oh, is it difficult for him to bear your halitosis? Now, he's too polite to run away from you, but you're a mazik. You're annoying him. The one who is always aware of Hashem lives differently. I knew a tzaddik whose head was in the heavens all the time. His mind was always occupied with great thoughts. And yet he never spoke to anyone unless he perfumed his mouth first. I knew him very well. And for years he carried a little packet of Listerine pellets in his pocket. He never came to speak to anybody unless he first perfumed his mouth. This was a man who lived with the ideals of Musser. Number one is don't injure. Don't bother people. That's the first rung of the ladder that goes up to heaven. And we do that because this was the system that HaKadosh Baruch Hu first showed us when he gave us the Torah. It was Matan Torah. And right away, Mishpatim. Because although these Mishpatim might benefit the welfare of man, as well as the perfection of character for the one who trains himself to care about his fellow, yet the most important achievement is that it serves as constant reminders that Hashem is always looking, is always looking, always down at our deeds, even the most subtle of deeds. And that we are always obligated to behave as one who behaves in the presence of a king. And thereby, even the most mundane activities of a Jew are always saturated with awareness of Hashem. And that awareness is your perfection in this world and your preparation for eternal happiness. When you finally come to bask in the true presence of Hashem in the world to come. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Parshas Shekolim.
In the ancient days when the Beis Amikdash still stood, there was a very big event that took place once a year, an occasion that attracted a lot of attention. Our Chachamim tell us that Bechad Be'adar Mashmi'in Al HaShikolim when the month of Adar came around, big announcements were made in all the towns. The time has come to collect Machatita Shekel. And every Jew had to contribute a half a shekel for the purpose of purchasing the Korban Sibur in the base Hamikdash. Everywhere in all the places where the Am Yisrael dwelt, there were officials who acted as Gabayim for the purpose of collecting the Machatita Shekel. And even though it was only a half a shekel for each person, it became a huge sum. Millions of coins were collected. Now, once it was collected, it wasn't just sent to the edit, to Eretz Yisrael. Besides for the great tumult of the collection process, the entire procedure of bringing the money to Eretz Yisrael was made into a big ceremony. It was a tremendous affair. They made treaties with all the kings whose lands they had to pass through in order to get permission to collect money from Jews along the way. And in, or, in order to be allowed to pass through the through unmolested, they were even provided with military transport. They had with them a small army of soldiers that marched along with them. And because it was an opportunity for safe travel to Eretz Yisrael, thousands of people traveled with the Mahasita Shekel caravan to Yerushalayim. The convoy usually consisted of about 10,000 people who gathered from towns and cities in Babel and other places. First of all, Hanhu Da'ali Mehacha Lehatom. There were many people who wanted to learn in yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael, so they used this opportunity to come along with this caravan. Also, all the Mesim who died in Bavel and wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael were now exhumed. The bodies were taken out of the ground and they were carried along with this convoy. The Gemara says that. They were waiting all year for this caravan. And the Mesim were brought to Eretz Yisrael for burial along with the Machasita Shekel. Now, what was the purpose of this, of this whole ceremony? Such a tumult to collect money from everyone? You know, the Gemara says that there were wealthy Jews in Eretz Yisrael who offered to pay for the Kabonas from their own money. Even if a person wouldn't contribute, the same thing would have taken place anyhow because there's plenty of money without his. The Korbanas would have been brought just the same. Let's say you're, you're a stingy fellow, and so every time the Gabai comes knocking on your door, you told your wife to tell him you're not available, that you're busy, you're in the bathroom. So do you think they wouldn't be able to afford to buy korbonas that year? They would have gotten along quite well without collecting from everyone. They were in no need for this whole thing. But what we're learning now, that there was a tremendous need for it. The big tumult, the commotion of collecting money from everyone made a great impression on their minds of the whole nation. Because even though a person was miles away in a different country, could be, he thinks, me? What do I have to do with the Avoidus Beis Amigdash? Yet he was expected to join together with the whole Am Yisrael in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When all of the money arrived in Yerushalayim, it was, it was used to buy korbonas. And that was every Jew that had a share in all the offerings that were brought on the Mizbeach.
The money was taken into a certain lishka, a room where it was poured on, where it was poured out into a big heap. And then the kohanim came with buckets, and they scooped out bucketfuls of coins for korbanos. And when they needed more, they scooped up another bucket. And even though you only gave a donation, a small part, a small part of the cost of the cor- of the korban, nevertheless, you were part of it all. Your money was in those buckets. And that way, all day long, whatever was done in the base Hamikdash, you were there too. When they brought the korban tamid, it wasn't merely a kohen who was offering it to Hashem. It was you, the korbanas, the ketoidas, the hadlakasanedas. Your money was working for you. And so even though you were miles away in a different country, could be you were sleeping too. Maybe you were taking a nap, yet you still had a part in the avoidas base Hamikdash. And that's why the collection of the monies was such a big affair. There was a great commotion. Everybody, wherever he was, knew that it was his opportunity to be nitpal dvar mitzvah, to attach himself to the avoidus beis amigdash. When they gave machasita shekel money, they demonstrated that they were joining in with the Am Yisrael. Not just that we don't mind that korbanos are offered up. We want to be a part of those who bring the korbanos. And even though our share is small, nevertheless, by doing that, we show that we participate. We identify with the Avoid Hashem. Now we should listen prayerfully to this lesson. Don't think it's a small thing. It's one of the reasons we still read Parshas Shekolim today. We're reminding ourselves about the necessity to acquire a rotsun, a desire to participate with the Am Yisrael in all of their great endeavors. It's a very important subject because we know that most of us cannot achieve great things on our own. Not only do we ourselves not have the zuchus, but we don't have the influence and the money either. And nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to demonstrate our desire to change the world by means of joining in with the Am Yisrael in their great projects, even if it's on the most minimal scale. If we join, if we join in by means of money, we identify with all the great ideals, all the great projects. So Yisholem Shechar Linitpal Loise Mitzvah Koise Mitzvah. There will be a tremendous reward for the one who joins in Koise Mitzvah, like the one who did the mitzvah. It's as if we did the entire job ourselves, and we get credit for the entire mitzvah. See Torah Savig Deparshas Noach. Now we're learning from the, from the Machatzit HaShekel, an important principle that it pays for us to study. And that is that when you contribute money, you have the Zuchus as if you yourself are doing what your money is doing. That's a big Chiddush. Everyone knows that in, that in the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur Machsur, when it comes to, to, to Nesane Toikef, you say the following words, Teshuva utfila utzdaka ma'avirin et ro'a ha'gezeira. Teshuva, tefila, and tzedaka remove the bad decrees. So underneath the word Teshuva, the printer puts the word Tzom, fasting. Why does it say fasting? Because that's the most obvious form of teshuva. A person fasts in order to show how contrite he feels. Actually, he needs more than fasting. But fasting is a pretty good indication he means business. And the second thing on the list is tefillah. That's davening. That you all know. And the third thing is utzedakah. What's tzedakah? So in the machzor, underneath the word tzedakah, they put the word mamon. Tzedakah is mamon, money. It's interesting why they put the word mamon there underneath tzedakah. It's the same thing. It seems superfluous. 
But actually it's not superfluous because tzedakah does not mean mammon. Tzedakah means righteousness. When it says tzedakah, tatzil mimavet in Mishlei, it means righteousness rescues from death. It doesn't mean money. And even though they bang the pushkas with the pasuk, it's only a drush. It's not the peshat. The peshat in tzedakah is righteousness. If a person is a righteous man in everything, that's the real tzedakah. That's what Hashem wants. And that's Peshuto Shel Mikra. We shouldn't make any mistake about that. Tzedakah means tzedek. It means keeping the Torah. It means learning the Torah. It means guarding your tongue. It means serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu by doing all the mitzvahs properly. Bein Adam Lamakum or Bein Adam L'chavedo. Certainly, that's Sadaka. But the Chachamim came along and told us a Chiddush that Sadaka is Mammon. That's a very big chiddush. Your mammon, your ma- your money, tatzil mimavet. The money that you put in the charity box will save your life because it's considered as if you are doing the good deeds. It's very important to understand the great principle that your machatzita shekel, your tzedakah, represents you. Of course, if you can actually get involved with your body, if you can make somebody into a shoymer Torah, or if you can teach him to become a better oyved Hashem, and as a result of your influence, he becomes a better person, certainly there's no greater tzedakah than that. Mitzvah bo yoter Better you should do the mitzvah with your own body than to have your money do it for you. But there's no question that for most of us, mammon, money, is the great opportunity to join to join in with all the great endeavors of our nation. Because when you give money to a yeshiva and the boys are sitting and learning Gemara by day and by night, it's your money that's learning Gemara. Your money is studying Masech the Baba Kama now. If your money is making Oivdei Hashem into better Oivdei Hashem, that's your, that's your doing. It's a special chesed that Hashem gave us when he told us we have this privilege to be involved by means of our money. It's not just that you gave money. You did a mitzvah of tzedakah, and that's all. Now you're finished. No, you're not finished. You just started. You just started accomplishing great things. Even when you go to sleep, you're already wearing pajamas, and you're climbing into your bed. Your money is still working for you. The people who are learning Torah in those institutions, whatever, where, whatever they are, it's your money that's learning Torah for you. If the Bacharim are learning late at night in the base Medrash, so you're sitting next to those boys and you're there too. It's a nitpal, la'isa mitzvah. And, and even more, when you fall asleep at the end of your days, your money, your, you, and, it's, and it's even more, when you fall asleep at the end of your days, your money still continues to earn merit for you. You know, we think that when a man leaves over money for yeshiva, so it's just a ceremony. We got rid of him, and now we have his money already. Now we can take him off our mailing list, and we could forget all about him. You maybe forgot about him, but Hashem doesn't forget. This man is attached to the yeshiva now. His money continues to earn merit, absolutely. As they're sitting in the mere yeshiva or Lakewood and learning Torah, it's your money participating in all the Torah that's being learned. You're still learning in the yeshiva Shalmata. Although now you're in the yeshiva Shalmala. No question about it. Your money is earning merit for you. Of course, the more money you give, so you're, demonstra- you're demonstrating more participation in the great endeavors. 
but at least something you have to demonstrate. So let's say you're not able to support a big yeshiva. It costs tremendous money to support it. And they're coming to you. Maybe you want to buy the base medrash in your name or your father's name. It only cost $100,000. Or maybe you'll buy a room in the yeshiva for $30,000. So you look, at, you look at them like they fell off the moon. Me? I can't even pay the schar limud for my own children. I'm putter. I'm not even interested in thinking about the whole thing. Oh no, don't say that. Not interested? That's a tragedy. Because there will be tremendous reward for those who join in. Like the one who did the mitzvah himself. The one who gives $5 to the yeshiva or $500 to the yeshiva has joined in with the one who gave the $100,000. As long as he gave the most he could, he's also a builder, a plaque on the wall. He won't get maybe, but he gets credit in Shamayim because he went all out in participating in the mitzvah. And his, his machatzit shekel is remembered by Hashem forever and ever in the next world. Have a wonderful Shabbos.